Powered by Rev Media in partnership with TSN. This is season five. It is episode 21 of the Rain Drakes Hockey Podcast, and it is presented by our title sponsor, Canadian Club Whiskey, who have introduced Ray the first release of the Canadian Club Invitation Series. It's mm. the CC 15 year old Sherry Cask. All the hallmarks of classic Canadian Club with the added richness and sweetness of Sherry. And as we're about to start the podcast here, uh, I'm 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 kind of more impressed with you to this point of season five than I have been uh, for maybe all five episodes or all five seasons. Reason being, mm. I, I <laughs> I'm in Seattle, so we're taping this at six seventeen a.m. Pacific time, right. and you know you can hear it. I'm gravelly, and I didn't get to bed that late. It's just it's amazing what a three hour time change can do to your body. See, so the fact you, that you do thank this you multiple times a month is very impressive. Very impressive. Well, because because sometimes like you have to walk all the way from the kitchen to the office, like with your coffee, right? Like the whole way before we start. So that's you know you really grind it out at home there. So you know it's very it's fair. quite impressive. The um, the one thing I was <clears throat> you know really impressed was like you. You got through the airport, you you know, you don't travel much anymore, you're on time, you're at the meetings, you're up yesterday you sent headlines like, oh. early in the night, which is quite a veteran move, knowing <laughs> that there was gonna be no no recovery from whatever time you went to bed to yeah. what have you been up? Like six minutes, seven minutes? No, 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 no. Yeah. At 6 a.m., the alarm went off. So, you know, I, I'm not as spry as I once was. You know, back in the good old days when you had to do the radio hits first thing in the morning, oh. I mean, all you needed was five minutes. Just splashed a little water on the face, maybe, a, you know, have your coffee real quick, and then away you go. Uh, 15 minutes was a little eager. You almost need I, more. You almost I, need, I need more. A bit more. Yeah. And, by the way, so <clears throat> not to throw Chris Johnson, a good friend of ours, under the bus, he picked a restaurant. It was like something in Carpenter uh, in Seattle. So busy day yesterday at the Board of Governors meetings and, and talk about first world issues. I, I had a little bit to eat in the morning, nothing all day. So by the time the meeting wrapped up, I was hungry. I was hangry. Right, right. Let's get going here. The Uber driver drops us off six blocks from the restaurant and it's raining. So you can yeah, imagine well, how wait that Wait a minute, goes. what kind of what kind of Uber driver is that? <laughs> well, like, did he just say I'm done? Well, he just said, "Yeah, it's right there." Well, it wasn't right there. We pile out of the the Uber and we've got to walk 6 blocks in the rain. So now we're wet. Okay, not that big of a deal. We get there. It's a tapas restaurant. So you're not like, you know, you're getting Steak tartare and like calamari, <laughs> like three nibbles. That didn't little it, nibbles. Did oh, I, but I literally, I'm like, again, this is how well we know each other. But I'm like, hmm, I just, I'd love to see Ray's face sitting down in this. But restaurant. see, you made, you know what your here? first, you know what your first mistake was was letting CJ pick the restaurant because you know he's a foodie. Yeah, he is a foodie. Yeah, so he would have researched this for taste and presentation and. You just want a plate of food. Yes, right? well, like, that's exactly what it was. Yeah. By the way, are you a sushi guy? I am. Yeah, and that was one of the restaurants that was recommended. And uh, well, I let me give you one. I then. vetoed, but I did. Yeah. Let me give you one. Walk okay. out of your hotel. Yeah. Turn right. Okay. Walk 
50 steps and it's right on the corner. Oh, no kidding. Very, very solid. Very is that solid. Right. And actually the hotel uh lobby restaurant, like the restaurant is is pretty solid as well, apparently. But Yeah, we no, were... it is, but they're not uh they're not giving it away there, I'll tell you that. No, no. <laughs> There's they, and for you coming in there, they're like, I did a press special price for you, sir. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, it's all been good. Um, not a lot of news value as we dive into headlines here uh, on the Rain Driggs podcast, but that's normally what this meeting is about, uh, bringing the owners together. In Seattle's case, what was interesting was um, Michael Anlauer, the owner for the Ottawa Senators, man, got some work done yesterday. So not only is he representing the, the Sens, but also went to Climate Pledge to fully tour that building because I haven't been in it yet, but it's... It's oh, you have right? I have not been in it. No, I have not. You know, what's, been a, you know what's one of the coolest things they see? This is one of the things I like about that building is because they had to keep the roof for heritage purposes. Yeah. At the old key arena, they had to get really creative. Yeah. And when, like, when you walk in the arena, you're at street level. The lower bowl and the rink is below ground. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, like, I like places you walk into and it's, they're not just a run of the mill, although for $800 million, I don't know what's run of the mill, but, <laughs> but it's like, you know, it's like, there's something different to it. And I, and I'm hoping that, yeah, well, first of all, I'm hoping Ottawa gets what they, they've long desired. And that's a, an arena down closer to downtown, but yeah, man, it would be cool if it had a little, little something special to it. As you're building it, I mean, you're yeah. building it from from the ground. It would be kind of cool if they could. Yeah. Well, he was impressed. So we'll see as he continues to do due diligence there how it uh, how it kind of evolves. It's part of a process, as he acknowledged mm -hmm. to the media. So let's get into headlines. Ray brought to us by Tim Hortons. Tim Hortons has some tasty beverages and baked goods currently on their menu for the holidays. Mm -hmm. Try their new non-alcoholic Bailey's-flavored Tim Hortons classic, like Bailey's Cream Coffee. So it's a classic taste Ooh. of Tim's original blend, infused, of course, with the flavor of Bailey's and cream. Wide variety of holiday drinks and baked goods available only at Tim's. Um, again, part of, of the Board of Governors, and we sort of grow weary in the media of, of hearing the owners and the governors come out, Ray, and say, oh, no, the game is so good. We don't need to touch the game. Everything around the game is perfect. Sure. You know, why are we, you know, meddling with things? And, 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 and to a degree, I think that's also very fair. So there's not a whole lot on the agenda here. Um, you know, there's business updates. George Peros is here for the Department of Player Safety, all that normal standard stuff. They're talking about the draft. The draft will be at the Sphere in, in Vegas, which is kind of interesting, right? Um, sure. But from a hockey perspective, I, you know, I spent some time uh, with the Pittsburgh Penguins yesterday. And why don't we start there? Because when you look at the talent that Kyle Dubas and the Penguins have, have assembled here, now he's just dabbling at this point, if you want to call bringing in Eric Carlson dabbling. But you look at the class of Hall of Famers on that Penguins lineup. They lose again last night. I haven't gone through their whole game sheet. But going into that game, Penn scored a power play in, what, 10 straight games, including right. last night. So that's 11 games without a power play goal. You're a power if you play poke, guy. If you want to poke your, if you poke your <laughs> yeah. eyes out, go watch yeah. the overtime last night. <laughs> How bad it was? Oh, 
<laughs> Unbelievable. Okay. Anyway, go on. So no, no, power but your play. power play goes, you know, like yeah. when you look at power plays around the National Hockey League, of course you think of, of the Edmonton Oilers and what McDavid and Dreisaitl can do. But historically, when you look at the talent that, you know, you can put on the ice in Pittsburgh and then you add Eric Carlson to the equation and, you know, they, they've already tweaked that power play through necessity. So going into that game, Carlson wasn't on the point, right? He was on the left flank and they put Latang back on the point. It just reminds me of the Carolina Hurricane or the San Jose Sharks when Brent Burns was there with Carlson mm-hmm. and then he ends up in Carolina because nah, there's just not enough puck and maybe not enough power play time out there for the two of us. Um, Eric Carlson's, uh, I mean, it without question is a, is in the upper echelon of of ability and skill um, puck play from from defensemen around the NHL. I I don't think there's any question. He's a little bit of a an independent contractor. Um, you know, he kind of gets things done on in his own way. And if if you know anything about the Pittsburgh Penguins and about Coach Mike Sullivan and Sidney Crosby. Mm-hmm. Uh, in particular, they are as far from independent contractors <laughs> as you will find. They are very structured about everything they do. Um, Sullivan has a very straightforward way uh, and, quite frankly, a very successful way yeah. of coaching yeah. um, and coaching his teams. Um, he likes to play super fast. You know, north and south, that's not Carlson's way. Um, I thought it was an odd fit when they when they signed Carlson for, yeah. for those reasons. Um, you could see the complication of Carlson and Latang from a mile away. Like, there was going to be a little bit of alpha struggle here between two very, very good players. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I, th- I think that adds up to some, you know, to a power play that on paper should be better, but it just isn't. Oof. It's it's actually dreadful to watch it because is. I think Carlson would like to, and I'm not throwing this all on Carlson, but I think Carlson would like to enter the puck into the zone in a certain way mm-hmm. and the Penguins do it a different way. I think he would like to hold it at the blue line and wander around with it a little more. That's not the way the Penguins play. And so there's some real complications. But when they acquired them, to me, it was like, look, we've got Latang, Crosby, and Malkin. They're at yeah. the ages they are. Getting a first-round draft pick and a couple of developing 22-year-olds does not help them. Right. They, I actually think they're in the point, or they're at the point, if they're going to add somebody, Drake's, they got to add another veteran that has some game left like the window is what those guys years are yeah and not all of the years Mm -hmm. you know so they're they're in a they're in a very precarious spot there yeah definitely are speaking of veteran players um how about the play of of brad marchand and the boston bruins of late but specifically brad because you know there have been times i watch a lot of bruins games there have been times over the course of this year where he just he didn't look out of sorts. He just didn't look like vintage Marshan. And and maybe it's, you know, part of the pressures of being captain of the Boston Bruins and maybe, you know, feeling like you've 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 got to represent in a certain fashion all of that. You don't see the pest in him all the time, which is 
probably a good thing. I mean, he's obviously better on the ice than he is in the penalty box, but Mm -hmm. scores a huge goal in overtime against the Maple Leafs. Of course he did. Why wouldn't he? That's pretty much what he's there for. And then follows it up with a natural hat trick against the Columbus Blue Jackets. I mean, he just finds a way, doesn't he? He he really does. He's really such a good player. He's... I, I think a little bit of a slow start would be probably predicted. Um, yeah. If you look like, you know, for the last, I don't know, what was it, 13, 14 years, when he went on the ice, Patrice Bergeron was three feet from him. <laughs> yeah, Like th- those guys played every shift of every game together. It was remarkable that we had a stat last year at ESPN. We ran in one of the games, the percentage of shifts they had played together in their career and it, it was, it was ridiculous. Like it was yeah. just silly. How often, like how often does you look at something and go, it should work. It's going to be great. And then it doesn't. And then you get these two guys that they put together and Oh my God, it's, it was, you know, incredible for well over a decade. Yeah. So the Bruins are, they're a little bit in transition, although the record doesn't show it. You know, the center ice position's a little bit of a jumble with Patra and Zaka and yeah. um, Charlie Coyle. And so none of them are, you know, none of them are quite the same. And he's getting older. Like, he can't be a pain in the ass every shift. I I, I think I um, identify a little bit with that. As, <laughs> as you get older, it's like, you just can't. You just don't. You don't have the energy to be pissed off all the time because (laughs) you can't use all that energy. You need it to play. Yeah. And so I I, I just, I like watching him play because he's just, he's so, I think one thing that gets overlooked drags with him. He's so smart. He is smart. When when he's got the puck and there's nowhere to go, he's so confident in himself. Like he still holds it and he's still going to make a play out of it. As for the overtime goal, (laughs) first game back in, Toronto after the hit on uh, Timothy Lilligren and you know and the, you know that was a big talking point for the Leafs that was never going to happen yeah, again yeah. and the building can't stand him and then the little bugger scores the <laughs> overtime winner again and just stands there and takes it you know like <laughs> loves it just loves it and then you know the Bruins had played pretty poorly for ten days yeah and they went yeah. in and all of a sudden they lock it down again and then he gets three in Columbus and. Man, they just they just keep rolling, and he's at the front of it, man. He, yeah. He's he's still a very very good player. So as you mentioned, uh, yeah, I got the headlines, suggested headlines into you early yesterday. I was just yeah. kind of sitting around waiting for the meetings to wrap up here in Seattle, um, and then you bounced back an hour or two later and said, "Hey, we got to talk about Arizona," and. Right. Instantly, I'm like, Ooh, like because they're trying to build a new building. Like, what are we talking about Arizona right. for? And it was because they're late, laying a beat down on the Washington Capitals last night. Um, you know, the level of disrespect that's been thrown at the the, the Coyotes organization is well deserved. You know, over their foibles <laughs> off ice over the years and 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 whatnot. But quietly, this team has pushed itself into the conversation, hasn't it? Like in terms of what they're capable of and clearly the direction that they're going. They're well coached. There's a lot of things to like now about this team. Well, I got a question for you. Um, How many hockey stories (laughs) have you reported on in the last decade out of, hang on, out of Arizona versus 
the number of land acquisition arena stories out of Arizona. Right. Like yeah, it, it, it'd be heavily tipped. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same story all the it time is. with a new city and a new yeah. rink and a new this and a that. And, <laughs> oh yeah. They still got a team. They're playing in a freaking college rink that yeah. they haven't even been able to sell out some games this year. They're really good. They're a very good team. I bet you, well, I can't even give you a percentage, but wouldn't know that Andre Tournay is the coach. And he's a really good coach. He is. Um, yeah. They call him the Bear, and yeah. he is. A, he's a funny, uh, demanding, articulate guy. He's got. Um, he's got a really direct way. They've blown out every player out of there and took it, taken back every young player on the planet. Well, some of those young guys are starting to hit, mm-hmm. right? And this is so they're thirteen nine and two. They got a five game winning streak. They've beaten the last five Stanley Cup winners in that five-game sta- five winning streak. First time in history. Yeah. And so I, I turn on the game because I got Washington later in the week. They're sitting out of Genny Kuznetsov, so I want to watch it. I send a text to Matt McConnell, the play-by-play voice, halfway through the period. I'm like, save your voice. They're going to get 10 tonight. <laughs> it was unbelievable. Yeah. They, like, I didn't – I got to be honest with you. I didn't know much about Michael Carcone before this year. He was signed as a free agent by Vancouver Mm -hmm. in, I think, 2016. And then he got traded to Toronto for Josh Levo. And then he got traded to Ottawa in the Connor Brown trade. Yeah. Then he got traded to Nashville somewhere along the line. So he's in Nashville. The pandemic hits. Nashville doesn't really have anywhere for their players to go. They're kind of all on their own. They're like their prospects or non-NHL players. Somehow he ends up in Tucson, which is Arizona's <laughs> Quite a story. club. 31 goals in the American League last year. He's got 12 goals, five in his last five. He's a little buzzsaw. Man, he, he can score. And he's got 12 yeah. goals. And then, you know, uh, Schmaltz was a first-round pick for them. He's got nine goals. He got two last night. Clayton Keller's a hell of a player. Yeah. A terrific player. He had three assists last night. He's, got, he's, got a, he's a point a game. And then in goal, uh, a couple of years ago, uh, Connor Ingram um, was in Nashville and he went into the player's assistance program. He had was having some issues and now he's got 11 wins. Like, good for him. There's a yeah. lot of great stuff going on. They're the best team that nobody knows about. Yeah. They're really good. And they are, they're going to be a pain in the ass for a lot of teams um, that, that come up against them here. They're, they're fast. And they're starting to believe in themselves. You can just see in the way they play. You uh, you have a big game tonight. We're recording this on Tuesday, right? It's the Hughes Bowl, as you it referred is. to it late last week. And that's the New Jersey Devils and the Vancouver Canucks. Um, all three brothers, of course, playing Jack and Luke with the New, Jer- uh, New Jersey Devils and Quinn with the Vancouver Canucks. Um, I don't know. Where do you want to go with that? Have you, have you seen enough of Luke yet? As a, as a rookie defenseman in the National Hockey League to get a real good feel or a comparison if there's a, a, an accurate or fair comparison to his older brother, Quinn? Well, I mean, just looking at them, he's, he's much bigger. Yeah. Like, he's, he's the biggest of the Hugheses by, yeah. by quite some bit. Um, tremendous skater. Uh, one thing that all three of them have is like a, a real – well, Jack's not quiet, but – uh, this is where Quinn and Luke are, are similar is um, 
a very quiet confidence about them. Mm-hmm. Like they're, they're really sure of themselves yet. They don't, you know, they don't have the, say the flair of Jack. Jack's the middle kid, right? Yeah. So yeah. he's a middle kid thing. Yeah. So he's going to make sure. Every, and so like Luke and Luke is going to be a terrific player. He really is. I saw him in his first couple of games last year. They dropped him into the playoffs. And you're like, oh, my God, like, like that's a pretty tough spot. Well, he was carrying the puck. He wasn't just throwing it away. He was, you know, he's a he covers a lot of space and he covers yeah. it easy because yeah. he skates so well with kind of cool. I saw a couple stories yesterday. He's never played against Quinn before. Mm. So this is going to be a first for them. Um, I guess when they were kids, and this makes sense because Luke's the youngest, Jack and Quinn always used to stick him in net. They always <laughs> wanted him to be the goalie, but his mom was saying, Ellen said in an interview yesterday, but he was lousy. <laughs> so he was no good. So they didn't want him in goal anymore. So that's, <laughs> he became a defenseman. So and who played so he, net? Ellen? Like, like, oh, they probably, well, put you Jimmy know how that in is. <laughs> Jimmy, you're in net. Yeah, yeah you're exactly. in net until you're too sore to take the shots anymore. <laughs> So they, what a unbelievable moment for them to yeah. have all three boys on the same ice, um, you know, tonight here in Vancouver. And it's, um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it because, you know, they, they say the same thing, you know, like, you know, we're all cheering for each other and, you know, but it's in the game and, you know, we're trying to win and, yeah. but you know, it would be impossible not to sit on the bench and watch your brother play and go, yeah. this is really cool, man. <laughs> Do you see the New Jersey Devils? I mean, they're going to they're going to claw back to some degree. Um, so maybe I'll phrase the question a different way. Um, how surprised are you that this team has struggled the way that they've struggled to this point past the the quarter mark? Well, I'm not really. No? Um, yeah. I, I thought they would take a little bit of a step back after a great year last year. Yeah, but yeah. If you want to see what the problems are, take a look at the goaltending chart, top to bottom, and then turn it over. Yeah. And you'll find New Jersey. <laughs> their, their goalies stink this year. Like it's watching New Jersey and Carolina, their goalies are 31st and 32nd oh boy. in the NH. Like it's remarkable. Yeah, it's hard to These win are that very, way. Oh, they're very good teams. And you know what's, yeah. you know what's pretty interesting? I did um, a Carolina game last week. Uh, they lost, in, uh, lost at home to New Jersey. They gave up 16 shots and lost 5-4. They had 45. And before the game, Rod Brindamore said something, the head coach in Carolina said something that Lindy Ruff, the coach in New Jersey, said after their loss the next night to San Jose, 6-3. He's like, they're not bad goals, but you got to stop one or two of them. Yeah. Like they're they're just not getting an extra save anywhere. And whether it's Akira Schmid or Vitek Vanacek, I think it'll be Vanacek tonight because Schmid played the last game and gave up five on 17 mm-hmm. to San Jose. Like there, there are some teams here with some extra goalies around that are probably starting to lick their chops a little bit and go, Oh yeah, these teams aren't going to sit with their goalies forever. Like they either got to get it turned around or yeah. you're in danger of, you know, of, of giving, giving yourself a bigger headache than you need to. Yeah. I mean, you had a good idea yesterday as we were prepping for the podcast. Uh, Andrew Raycroft is going to join us on Thursday on the podcast. He's a commentator with uh, the Boston Bruins, obviously a fairly accomplished NHL goaltender in his career. But uh, 
I don't understand that position well enough. You know, he'll hopefully he'll take us not only into the world of two pretty good goaltenders in Boston with Olmark and, and Swayman, but as you point out, you know, look at Carolina and everything they've gone through, the New Jersey Devils, all the teams that have struggled, Edmonton in goal and the significance of that position. And, you know, the, the fact that, I don't know, look around the league, right? Um, it's not like you can just pick up the phone and say, okay, well, I'm going to try this guy because maybe he'll stabilize our position. It doesn't work that way. Well, in any I, I think the big, especially Dregs, this is the biggest problem is each team needs three goalies. Yeah. Because if, say you have too much depth that you think a team has three, like Montreal, everybody's yeah. looking at, at, uh, at Montreal with uh, Primo and Montembeau, who they just signed, and Jake Allen. Yeah. So say Montreal trades one of those guys, and then one of the next two gets hurt. Now you got one. Yeah. And you're, you're like it, it happened yeah. so fast. And so if you think about it, you need 96 NHL goalies. <laughs> <laughs> there seems to be an issue getting to 96. Yeah. <laughs> Andrew Raycroft can sort that out for us on Thursday. Yes, and obviously talk about the Bruins and everything they've got going there. Uh, how about one more in the Tim Hortons headlines? You want to talk about the Winnipeg and, and Niederreiter? Or you sure, want to talk sure. I, yeah. I think that's been a good, underrated good story. Yeah, and I, I, I chatted with Mark Chipman, who's here in Seattle with the Board of Governors meetings, and, and we talked about you know, just the timing of the Nita Ryder extension. And he just said, look, I mean, he's he's an excellent fit in the core of our team, but he he's not interested in free agency. He and his family are set up. They love Winnipeg. He likes his fit with the organization, and the timing just made sense. But you, you it only makes sense if you look back at what Shovel Dayoff and company have done to this point in extending Connor Hellebuck and extending Mark Shifley and some of the other pieces. You know, of course, Velarde getting healthy yeah. and all the L.A. guys coming into the fray. But I don't think, you know, I'm a little biased here, but I don't think Winnipeg gets enough love or enough credit for how they've kept this group together and a group that is showing on ice that they're 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 a very competitive team. Well, I... I would say, given the you know what we see in you know in the Manitoba economy and you know the the way the attendance has been, Winnipeg is not a spot to rebuild. Like they, you know, it, the signings of Shell of Shifley and Hellebuck were critical to the infrastructure as well as the team. Like they they needed to have that happen, and that yeah. was yeah. Really great news for the both, like for both players. They make, you know, going to make a ton of money, but for the Jets in particular, it's great news. And so now those guys signing, like when we had Josh Morrissey on the podcast, he talked about what it does for the players there that they know, oh man, our top center, one of the better yeah. in the league and one of the best goaltenders in the league are now signed for seven years. And yeah. so that makes people want to stay. And, um, Nita Ryder is a good player. He's, uh, you know, I think he was the fifth pick of the draft of the Islanders, traded for Cal Clutterbuck, if you can believe that. Like, by the way, Clutterbuck just went over a thousand games. Yeah, can you yeah. imagine what his body feels like? He's got oh, like thirty five hundred hits, and that's the ones he gives. <laughs> like, they, you know, good for him. That's a yeah. hell of a hell of a thing for him. But the Jets have really they've they've found a way now. There, I think the Jets need to be a hard physical it kind of fits with their city identity 
And yeah. I remember going in there and like just hating playing there because hmm. they'd bang you around and it would be like, it would be a hard game. Um, they, they seem to have an identity carved out right now and Nita Ryder goes with it. I got to tell you what quickly, one of the yeah, funniest yeah. things that I, that I saw in an NHL game was in the old Winnipeg arena. Yeah. Remember they had the old picture of the queen. At like the enormous Wall picture of the queen. Yeah. 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 Um, First of all, that's got nothing to do with the story, but okay. it just—it was at the end wall. Yeah. So Paul Stewart is refereeing. The game. Oh boy! And it was always entertaining, whether whether he had anything to do with the game or not. Whether he was yelling at the player for you know the players to break up a scrum because when I played, we used to just fight. You know, like <laughs> anyway. So Stewie gets hit with a clearing attempt. Okay, it, yeah. he's right by the blue line. And he's, he doesn't blow the whistle. He just skates straight across the ice to the corner where the yep. officials used to enter the rink. And he, they open the door and he leaves. <laughs> so the linesmen are there and somebody, they kind of weakly blow the whistle. Like nobody knows what the hell's going on. He's gone. I guess he's hurt. So everybody's standing around. <laughs> nobody really knows what to do. And then... All of a sudden, the end door opens up, and here comes Stewie back on the ice. I guess he was okay. And so we're like, oh, Stewie, is it all right? Can we start? And he's like, ah, oh, I just dropped a puck. And oh, he'd have been grumpy. Oh. Oh, it, obviously, it hurt, right? He got yeah, hit. But yeah. he didn't blow the whistle, and we just all, everybody just stopped playing. And we're like, what's going on? He just left. And it was like, it was like the, the guy with the net when you were playing shinny as a kid. Yeah, had to go home, and he just took the net, and we're like, "Oh, now what do we do?" And then we just stood around, and then he came back. <laughs> it right. was amazing. Uh, we, we will wrap up headlines with uh, I teased the double IHF decision, and so we'll, we'll just get a quick thought on that from you. Um, and the decision is that the International Ice Hockey Federation has made neck protection mandatory for the World <laughs> Junior Championship, the under 18s. Um, they're still deliberating on the men's and the women's worlds, but very likely that you'll have to have mandatory neck protection at the men's and the women's worlds. And then you, you wonder beyond that, right? Okay. Well, if they're doing it at that level, does it then automatically become mandatory for every international hockey event, including the Olympics? Oh. So it's, it's, it seems to be headed that direction. Well, Dregs, I think it's really important that that last statement you made about, does it, um, uh, does it go through to every other event? Yeah. So I, I, we get focused always on these big events, World Juniors, U18s, men's championships, women's championships, like world championships. When they put an edict out like this, it also goes through, like, for example, the U18s and the A-level, the B-level, and the C-level. Yeah. Like, this This is far bigger, a far bigger decision than just the four tournaments that we that we mentioned. Yeah. Like, it... It impacts, and, and their decisions have to take into consideration all these other levels. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of cases, the safety of it goes to the other levels more so than they're worried about at the top level. Yeah. And so I, I don't think it'll be very far before it, it'll be mandated. Um, I think the, you know, I, I think we're, not I think, I know we're seeing a, a few more NHL players wear it, and the companies will continue to make it 
so it can be as comfortable and as protective as possible. And right. I, I think it's going to be like a visor pretty soon. You won't, you won't even notice it. Yeah, I'm with you. And, and what a place to start, right? I mean, you start with those uh, younger players so that, okay, right. well, it's not that big of a deal. Like, I, you know, I'm, I'm making my way in the National Hockey League. I wore it at this event. I wore it there. It's no yeah. big deal. I'm going to continue to wear Same it. Same with right? the visor, Drake's. Yeah. yeah. Guys, guys would, you know, when it first started, guys would get to the NHL and they had been wearing a visor their whole life and then took yeah. it off when they went to the NHL. And then finally they were like, yeah, no, can't do that anymore. And so the guys wear their visors. Yeah. Yeah. That's the way it is. Those are your headlines. Thank you to Tim Hortons. Tim's new non-alcoholic Bailey's flavored holiday menu. Enjoy the classic taste of the holidays anytime with a creamy Bailey's flavored latte. Celebrate the season with the taste of the holidays with Tim's new non-alcoholic Bailey's flavored holiday menu. Our interviews on Rain Riggs brought to us by Canadian Club Whiskey. As mentioned, we're going to dive into goaltending on Thursday in our next episode with Andrew Raycroft, who is a color commentator with the Boston Bruins. So we'll get his insight. Um, brought to us by Canadian Club, who have introduced the first release of the Canadian Club Invitation Series, 15-year-old Sherry Cask. It's the signature CC Classic 12-year-old whiskey, finished with a secondary aging ring in Oloroso Sherry Casks. Ask feels like, feels like that. Sorry, that yeah. feels like um, a holiday type, doesn't it? Drink. Oh yes. yeah, it does. <laughs> it yes, does. it does. The key is to make sure it gets to the holidays. I know we've got we've got mm. some some sherry casks heading our way. We do. Um, so you know, you want to share, right? You want to share with your family. You want to share with your well. Friends. I keep looking for keep that delivery to come moment. to the door. I'm looking <laughs> for it to come to the door, but all it is is like another package of something or other yeah you know that for christmas that we're shopping for and i'm eh, not from canadian rashad <laughs> ryan rashad keeps saying it's it's on its way it's coming it's coming oh uh, well you know empty he's promises busy. He's, right yeah uh, yeah right now yeah that's what i'm <laughs> seeing <laughs> all right ask ray and Dregs anything you can send us your questions on twitter and instagram at ray and Dregs or on the website ray and Dregs.com. Um, Randine Rashog has sent us a number of questions, some interesting stuff here. Um, so I'm going to start with Al Krentz, who has conjured up the idea of an Arbor Jackeye trade from the Montreal Canadiens, which is interesting to me. I know that was, okay. as I, as I was reading it, uh, this morning, I'm like, Hmm, I, I don't know why Montreal would entertain a trade like that because he's just a unique individual, right? He's a decent right. hockey player. He's got that. Level of toughness that is up there with the best in the league, mm -hmm. and he's still very young in terms of experience. Do you see or think it's possible that the Canadians could move Jack High for an offensive defenseman? Uh, he's obviously a Habs fan. He says, we could use more mm -hmm. skill in the back end, and they could certainly use more size and toughness in general. I mean, if you're putting Jack Eye out there, you're, 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 you're going to attract an audience. There's no doubt. I, I just... Right. It seems a little too early for a trade like that for me. Well, here's the biggest problem with uh, for fans of teams that are rebuilding is oftentimes the the people that you really are waiting for are not even pros yet, and so they they've got a young defenseman um, in college in the U.S. Uh, Lane Hudson. Now, it, size is going to be an issue for him um to see if he can defend and 
it sucks for him because yeah. it's, you know, I know this too, like everywhere I went too small, not tough enough, not this, not that. Yeah. And you just have to keep kicking the cans over until they go, Oh yeah, yeah. You could play. Right. He's no smaller than Sam Gerard mm-hmm. in Colorado, but Hudson is, uh, it'd be a lot to put on him, but he seems to be, uh, a pretty outstanding offensive talent. Yeah. And so could he be one of those guys you're looking for? They're in no hurry. There's the other problem. They're, they're not going to go trade Jack Eye for a 26 year old offensive defenseman. It's not going to no. happen. No, they need, no. they need their core to be around the same age. Yeah. And so I, I would say, no, I, I don't see that happening. Okay. Uh, another Canadian team and a question <clears throat> from Melanie Baker, I believe could be backer. Uh, narrative around Ottawa is that DJ Smith needs to go. Well, then if that narrative is being formed by a section <laughs> of fans in the building chanting fire DJ, um, then I guess that's fair. Melanie says, right, the Senators lack structure and defensive accountability. Is there a coach available who can do what Jacques Martin did to the Ottawa Senators all those years ago? And so without scouring through the American League. Um, mm. I guess you could look at the Sens bench. You've got Jack Capuano there. You've got Davis Payne on that bench, you know, two former NHL head coaches. Um, if you want to make a wild connection, and I'm not saying that this guy fits what Melanie is describing here, you do have some history with Steve Steos and Jay Woodcroft, right? Obviously, I mean, mm. Steos spent a couple of years. He knows Jay well. Is it time? And, and I'll ask you that, but Uh, Michael Anlauer was asked about it in in the media here in Seattle yesterday. And it's always a tough question to answer when you're in a position of power because you don't want to oversell your positivity and and an endorsement because a month from now you may have to fire him, right? I mean, that's just the situation you're in. But you also don't want to bury the guy in the process. So Anlauer was very careful. Like he dispatched the chorus of, of chants that we've heard repeatedly but then didn't give DJ a full vote of confidence. So is there a coach that would fit the bill according mm-hmm. to what Melanie thinks this ends need? Well, I, I, I would be careful about looking for something that worked 20 years ago Yeah, because it probably can't work today. I mean, Jacques Martin would probably tell you the style that he coached doesn't oh, work yeah. today. No, it just, it just doesn't work. So you would be you would be killing hooking and holding penalties until the cows come home. Yeah, like you, you there would just never there would be no end to the way yeah. they coached in that time. It was obstruction. It was holdups. It was box outs. It, it's penalty, penalty, penalty. Today, um, you know what makes a good coach is a good goalie. You know what Ottawa hasn't had forever a good goalie. Here we go again. Yeah. 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 So maybe Andrew Raycroft's got a goalie for us on Thursday that they, you know, I mean, like it, it's amazing that, so just look, Carolina and New Jersey, they're at the bottom of the league in goaltending mm-hmm. and both teams are really disappointing considering where we think they should be. Yeah. The third and fourth worst goaltending in the league is Minnesota and Edmonton. They fired their coaches. So look, I, I think, you know, I, I think the walkway for DJ is probably not very far. Yeah. Like this yeah. gets turned around fast or you're out of boards to walk on. Um, but man, they could use some goaltending there too. Yeah. Like 
<laughs> another thing gives good structure is good goaltending because yeah. when you break down you're not fishing the puck out of your net yeah and they give up way too many goals yeah well and you mentioned minnesota i mentioned woodcroft and edmonton of course i mean i i love the response from dean evison with our buddy mike Russo. Awesome. awesome like i woke up this morning knowing that i'm a good coach i'm not a crappy coach yeah. i know i'm a good coach and i'm going to coach again loved it so Throw his name out there as well. Uh, okay, one more and ask Gray and Driggs. We'll wrap up from Conrado Padaras. Oh, what a golfer. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, he's curious. You started your Canucks broadcast this year in the booth with Shorty, with John Shorthouse. Yeah. Recently, he's noticed that you've dropped down to your usual spot, Ray, between the benches. As a color commentator, what are some of the biggest differences between the two vantage points and any memorable moments from your time between the benches? There's got to be lots of those. Well, so at on the road, I'm upstairs. I'm in the booth. And when I'm at home, like tonight, I'll be between the benches. Um, it's a logistics thing. And uh, I, I far prefer down below. Mm-hmm. Although I got to say, when I am up top, um, it's uh, it's really fun because John Shorthouse is, uh, I mean, he's just, he's quirky and funny and goofy and we have a, we have a lot of fun. The other thing is usually you don't have a lot of room upstairs in the booth. You think you would, but you don't. I take up no room. I have like one piece of paper. Most play by play guys are like booth hogs. They've got stuff taped up all over the place. Shorty's got one piece of paper. That's it. So nice. the two of us could do the do the broadcast in a phone booth. It's <laughs> it's really kind of funny. Um, as far as down below, I can I can see things that you can't see from up top. And if you're a play by play guy, um, like I've been really blessed, like they're good. Yeah. They catch things that I can't see. Like sometimes I'll look down the near corner, and all I see is a bunch of guys sitting on the bench. I can't see in the corner. So I'm watching the clock. Yeah. Right. And so like the big scoreboard, but the play by play guy can see it. Right. So you, you work in tandem as far as things that have happened. I mean, uh, I, I had a coffee beside me one time, somebody gets hit, the stick comes in, (laughs) hits my coffee. It goes straight up in the air. It comes straight down, doesn't touch me or anything. Like, I don't know how that, it was just like, it just, it popped up like a it was right up in the air. I've, another time, you know, I got to jump in there because there's no, it's like, there's no door. You got to no, climb yeah. on the boards and jump in. I jump in. I split the ass of my pants about like from top to bottom. So I'm like, what so the, good. how am I going to get out of here? <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm in there and I'm like, okay, at least I'm below the board. So nobody can, yeah. <laughs> can see my ass hanging out of my pants. <laughs> and, uh, so those pants, they died, a, they died a slow one. You hear some pretty good chirps. Um, um, not as many as you used to, yeah. right? Like it used to be far more entertaining. The, you know who I really miss between the benches is Tyler Bozak. Really? Why? Because he was just that sharp? No, no. He, we talked about golf before the anthem a lot. And <laughs> I really, I really miss. So one day I said to him, I go, cause his dad yeah. played in trail yeah. senior hockey. I go, your dad was one of my favorite players. I go, he was a hell of a passer, Mitch. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, that's what he says. He goes, there's no video. You know, he's older than me. 
I go, oh, no, no, he was good. So anyway, we started talking. And one time he had come back from a golf trip at the All-Star break. And then all of a sudden you hear, oh, Anthem's starting. And you got to stop. <laughs> but oh, I, I miss talking to him. He was That's outstanding. Very entertaining. All right, busy week for you, right? You've got the Hughes yep. Bowl tonight as we record here on Tuesday. What else is going on? Uh, then I jump on a plane Wednesday, yep. uh, get to uh, Washington for – for Thursday, got a game in Washington Thursday, and yeah. which, by the way, is not close to Vancouver. No, and no. Uh, and then turn around Friday, come back, and uh, so it'll be a busy week. Yeah, yeah, we're wrapping up here the Board of Governors meetings today. Um, should have some Olympic news. I, I, you know, probably just an update on on where they're yeah. at. There was double IHF meetings last week in Switzerland, so they're kind of. Boy, I hope they get that sorted. Yeah, could you imagine what the the top players are going to think if they can't get this thing over the finish line. Well, you know what? One of the bigger issues is now um, is, and you won't be surprised by this. They have barely started building an arena in Italy. They, they have the pilings in the ground. <laughs> like, come on, I, the <laughs> Italians get it done. Okay, we, we will get it done. Yeah. There, there might be a few unfinished corners, <laughs> but it will get done. Well, most of those buildings are made out of concrete, so that's that's yeah. a specialty, right? It'll all be okay. Good. I will tell you. Here's one thing about the Olympics: <laughs> people might not notice when all the camera shots are there. It always looks so beautiful. Yeah. If you go 14 feet uh, to the right. It's a construction zone. They Absolutely. never do finish it. No, there's so pylons I, and tarps and yeah. everything covering <laughs> yeah. stuff. All right, buddy. Have a good week. Yeah, you too. Enjoy the, the rest of Seattle. And yeah. remember, out 50 steps, you'll get your lunch there at the sushi place. You'll like it. Okay. That's on the uh, agenda for later today. I'm taking all the decision-making away from Pierre Lebrun and Chris Johnson. I've got it. Oh, that, too long their dinners, too. Long dinners. I don't dinners. know about CJ. Yeah. LeBron likes the wine. Yeah, it's a big talk. ordeal. Let's move it along. Yeah. Get the food in. He paid, yeah. though, so I shouldn't throw oh. him under the bus. So it's fine. No, he's though. welcome every time. <laughs> All right, buddy. We'll check in with Andrew Raycroft yeah. later this week. Talk to you later this week. Thanks for listening, everyone. Yes, and thank you to the sponsors who continue to support Ray and Dregs. That is Canadian Club Whiskey and Tim Hartons. And yes, thank you for listening, rating, sharing the podcast, and following us on the Ray and Dregs YouTube channel. Until next time, stay safe, everybody.